book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my Nine? How old are you? Nine. <laughs> Nine-year-old daughter. Almost done in half. As we read through the Harry Potter series of books, we're going to pick up where we left off with book seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, on chapter 20. Chapter 20 is entitled Xenophilius Lovegood. Who's Xenophilius Lovegood? He is Luna Lovegood's father, and he publishes the Quibbler. Right. Harry, Ron, and Hermione have recently been reunited after Ron ran off on his own and felt bad immediately, came back to rejoin his friends, but lo and behold, they're gone, right? Yes. Because they were, what, fleeing snatchers or something? What? Fleeing snatchers, running away from snatchers. Yeah. So they disapparated immediately before he could get back. He comes back, he uses the Deluminator to find them, and then... Delivers the sword of Gryffindor? No. Saves Harry in the lake where he finds the sword of Gryffindor. And he, so when he takes the sword out of the lake along with Harry, uh, Harry decides that uh, Ron should be the one to destroy the Horcrux with the sword. Right. So we, as we left them, uh, Ron and Harry have rejoined Hermione in the tent. Hermione is happy, but not so happy to see Ron. Why? Why is that? Uh, he, uh, this is actually this is actually from the book. I I remember, I remember her saying this. She says, "I don't care what he did. Uh, uh, like I don't care what he did. I'm never going to forgive him." Yeah, she's she's just the desertion has uh where where he left his friends has made them. Made at least her very upset. I think Harry is ready to forgive Ron at this point. Not so much Hermione. So chapter 20, uh, while Hermione is still angry at Ron, Ron and Harry are discussing what Ron has learned while he was away. Some very important things. Uh, number one, he has learned about the taboo. Do you remember what that is? Uh, it, 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 what's a taboo exactly? I, Forbidden. I, Okay, I know what it is. I don't know how to explain it. So, uh, it's basically the taboo is forbidding you from saying Voldemort's name. Otherwise, uh, the Snatchers, uh, aka Death Beaters, uh, will know where you are, and then they'll come and find you and try and kill you. Right. So far, they've not been successful. Right. So Voldemort has somehow managed to cast a spell over the entire world that his name can't be said. It seems like it doesn't matter where you are or who you are. They get some sort of alert, some sort of magical text message every time someone says Voldemort. Everyone knows this, and so no one says Voldemort. I guess the easy thing about this spell for Voldemort is most people already don't say his name. But who frequently does use his name? Dumbledore and Harry and I think his friends are starting to adapt to it. Yeah, so I I wonder if it's through their mental connection 
that Voldemort realizes that the person most likely to say his name would be Harry. But it's certainly a good thing for them to know because they probably were about to say his name. Hey, let's go find another Voldemort Horcrux or, you know, whatever. Just about to say it before Ron tells them, I, I think don't say of, his name. I think one of them says Voldemort. He's like, no. Yeah. Uh, he also learned about Potter Watch. Do you remember what that is? It's a radio station about, uh, like, the Harry Potter important stuff. It's like, basically a podcast, right? It's a Harry Potter podcast. It's a podcast on the radio, but it's not on <laughs> iTunes. Sure. Which I'm sure anyone over the age of uh, 15 will find amusing that you would put it that way. Because a podcast is nothing if not a replacement for a radio show oh. on the internet. And so now, yeah, anyway, it's ironic. So he learns about Potter Watch where it's Lee Jordan and I want to say a Weasley, right? Yeah. Fred? Uh, no, actually, it's Lee Jordan and somebody else running the show. And then it's like they put guests on the show and it just so happens that the guests are the Weasleys. Okay, so... They try and use code names, even though they're pretty easy to figure out. They call uh, Kingsley Shacklebolt uh, Royal. They call uh, Fred Weasley Rodent, I think. Something like that. Because he's like a weasel. Um, so it's like anybody listening probably knows what they're talking about. I think they assume the Death Eaters are too dumb to, to make these <laughs> these simple connections. Well, also, there there's a... What am I trying to say here? A password that you have to give to the radio before you... Oh, really? I don't remember that. Okay. So not everybody can listen to it unless maybe they tortured someone who could tell them the password. They also learned about Dumbledore's biography and I guess sort of the the revelations or possibly lies contained therein, you know? Uh, It's sort of sweeping the world, but Harry and Hermione have not probably been in a bookstore in a very long time. So Ron also has a present for Harry uh, who has recently broken his wand. What's Ron got for Harry? A wand. It just doesn't work as well. He, it, it, it doesn't connect to him. Yeah, it's like a blackthorn Harry. wand that he stole off a snatcher. And whether we know this already or whether we learn it very shortly, a wand, a stolen wand is not going to have the same allegiance as a one wand, something that you won by disarming. Uh, It's also not going to have as much allegiance as probably a friend's wand that is more likely to do your bidding than an enemy's wand. Like like in the the third book, when... In when Harry when they're in the Shrieking Shack and Harry's wand is like across the room, mm-hmm. or uh, when he takes Hermione's wand out of her pocket and then does a Expelliarmus or whatever uh, on to bad guys, or I think it was Snape actually. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So when he does that, it works. I f- I feel like it works as well as his regular wand. Because it's Hermione's wand and it's willing to work for sure. him. Sure. And I think we'll learn shortly once we talk to a very famous wand maker that that's more true than any of these kids realized. As they decide what their next move is, Hermione is the one with the, with the big idea. Hermione wants to go visit Xenophilius Lovegood because of 
the symbol he was wearing at the wedding. What connection has she made about this symbol? She believes it's the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. So it's a circle with a triangle in the middle and a line going down it. It's a triangle with a circle in the middle oh, I, and a I line get, going through all of it. I get confused through it. Uh, so, yes, he he she believes that... Getting my gender is mixed up. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, she believes that the triangle is supposed to be the cloak. This circle is supposed to be the stone. And the stick or line is supposed to be the wand. But what are those things in reference to? Where does she learn about a cape, a cloak, a, a stone, and a, and a wand? What are, the, what are those things? They're the Deathly Hallows. And well, she, she doesn't know that yet. She knows them as things that are in the story of Tales of Beetle the Bard. That's what I was about to say. Right. But she doesn't yet know they're called the Deathly Hallows. Doesn't she? I don't think so. She knows that that symbol is called the Sign of the Deathly Hallows. Oh, but she doesn't know that they are. As a matter of fact, she doesn't even know what the the shapes mean yet, because she's going to learn that from Xenophilius. Really? She knows that it's written in her book that Dumbledore gave her. It's a symbol. She does not know what it means. She knows what it's called. And she knows that Xenophilius was wearing it. So Hermione has decided, Dumbledore wanted me to know the importance of this symbol. Xenophilius is the only person I've met who could probably answer this question. He's not actually important to their mission. He's just a source of information. And since they don't have Wikipedia, apparently, and they don't have any way to look up anything when they're not in a library... They got to go to the source. And so they head on down to the Lovegood's Cottage. Yeah, the Lovegood's Cottage, which, how does it, it's sort of in the same vein as the burrow, right? Like, what, are their, what does their cottage look like? I, I remember it being in a weird shape for some reason. It's like round and twisty and odd, kind of like Luna and Xenophilius, right? You know, you know, I've actually, like, in real life, I've seen a roundhouse, mm-hmm. but it was more of a half circle. It wasn't, like, a circle with a flat bottom. So, Harry thinks this is a terrible idea. It's wasting time. Ron goes, no, 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 no. We should do what Hermione says. Why do you think Ron, better off, why does Harry think Ron says that? Why does Ron side with Hermione? Well, so far, everybody knows, like, seriously, everybody who knows Hermione and Ron well know that they like each other. So he's just sticking up for his uh, not really girlfriend, but soon to be girlfriend. And not only that, but I would imagine he's trying to get back in her good graces, seeing how mad she was just recently. So he's like, yeah, 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 Hermione's got the best idea. Let's do what she says, hoping that she'll be closer to forgiving him, perhaps, than she was before. But I feel like she knows that Ron's trying to win her back already. They both seem kind of oblivious to the other's uh, affections at this point, but we'll see. So they go to uh, Ottery St. Catchpole, which is the village that Xenophilius lives in, and they see... Oh, sorry, no. I guess that's where the burrow is. I thought I thought Ottery St. Catchpole was a person... I don't think so. I think it's a village. Really? Could be wrong. Hmm. The notes say they go to Ottery St. Catchpole where they see the burrow and they learn that Ron spent Christmas away from home. Where did Ron spend Christmas? 
Didn't he go to... Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Let me backtrack. I don't mean to cut you off. They go to Ottery St. Catchpole, and they start at the borough because they know that Xenophilius lives not too far from the borough. So it's just a place to go to get to get their bearings. You can't apparate somewhere if you've never been there or don't know the location. So they're, they go there to, to get their bearings. Anyway, why does Ron not spend Christmas at home? Because I believe that that the, the Death Eaters know where they are for some reason. Not quite. He spends Christmas with Bill and Floor at Shell Cottage. That's what I was going to say. Because he is ashamed of what he's done. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, he pre- he pretended that he had a weird sickness, but he really just put, uh, t- took the ghoul from the attic and put it in pajamas. No, not quite. It's not that that he's ashamed of. He doesn't want to have to face his family and tell them that he has deserted Harry and Hermione. They would say, oh, Ron, good to see you. Where's Harry and Hermione? And he'd have to either lie or say, we got in a fight and I deserted them and I'm a coward. He knows that Fred and George and Ginny would never stop yelling at him, but he feels like Bill has always been kinder in that regard. So he thinks that Bill and Flora's place is a safer place just to not get yelled at, but it also shows that he was immediately regretful and remorseful for what he'd done and and once the the heat of the argument died down realized that he he screwed up you know he like he would have to be like oh i i left them in the forest to die yay yeah exactly <laughs> and he's not proud of that they operate a few more times uh and find the house it's very eccentric it's very weird they give a knock on the door and are greeted by xenophilius what is his sort of mannerism as he greets them? Is he happy to see them? Is he? No, it, he he really it he feels like it feels like to the audience and probably to Harry, Hermione, and Ron too that he does he does not want company. He he specifically them. Yeah, he sees he seems very. Uh, hesitant to let them in. He's he's very shaken. He's very um He also looks like he just frazzled. Went out of bed. Yeah, he's very frazzled, like he's been startled. And they don't know him, and they know that Luna's kind of off. So they're like, oh, maybe this guy's just a weirdo. Like maybe this is normal for them house. Yeah, maybe he's just not a good host or he really doesn't want company. They don't know what to make of it, but he's sort of scrambling around insisting that they drink weird tea uh which they don't like very much he mentions that they make it themselves and uh what gird gertie roots i think infusion of gertie root something like that yeah they ask where luna is and i think he mentions that she'll be there shortly something along those lines he sends ah he he says i have to leave to to send word for luna to come home which is very important. And they're kind of left looking around the house at all the weird gadgets and inventions he's made. And I think he's like been growing mistletoe and there's a sign that says, uh, take whatever you like or whatever. Hmm. Hermione asks him about the necklace he wore and he mentions, oh, the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. Like he, he's talking about, like, t- talking about it like totally nonchalant. Yeah, and he, but he... Obviously, he knows all about this 
uh, and, and things like, yeah, of course, anybody knows this. Uh, chapter 21, The Tale of the Three Brothers, this is basically the point where they go through the story that, uh, let's see, Ron knows, Hermione has probably read at this point, but that Harry doesn't know. Actually, uh, I remember earlier in the book, like when Hermione was given the book, somewhere around then, neither Ron, I mean, neither Hermione nor Harry knew the story of the three brothers or the tale of the three brothers. And Ron is like, are you kidding? You must, Hermione, you must have heard of it. Yeah, every wizard kid knows about this, but she wasn't raised by wizards, so they would have read her regular muggle books as a kid. And Harry would have been, but he right. wasn't. Right. So Xenophilius is like, well, of course, I'll explain what the Deathly Hallows are. And he starts sort of recounting the tale of the three brothers. Uh, in like just a couple of sentences, sum up, what is the basic idea of the tale of the three brothers? There are three brothers that I believe they're like in the woods or something. And okay, they I have come to a bridge. They co- they come to a bridge. I haven't read this story in a long time, so I would I might get some of the things wrong. That's okay. But they come to a bridge, and I think they meet a like a a. A really powerful wizard or like a troll or something? Death. They meet death. Death. Well, he kind of is a powerful wizard. <laughs> so they meet death, and I, be- I believe he ge- he gives all three brothers one item. And it turns out each of those items is possibly one of the Deathly Hallows. A wand, a stone, and a cloak. Yeah. What do each of those items do? What are their powers? The invisibility cloak, we already know what that does. The the elder wand, I believe it's it, it's never lost a duel. Well, it doesn't exist yet. Death creates it from an elder tree and basically says this is the most powerful wand in the world. So it never will lose a duel. Possibly, sure. And then... The Resurrection Stone. The Resurrection Stone. I forgot what that does. The brother that wants the Resurrection Stone, his wife has died. And so he hopes that the stone will bring her back to life. Oh, is it? So it's like a, a, a raising dead stone? Yes, that's what resurrection means. So each of these brothers, the item they get is based on their desires. The one that gets the wand desires power above all else. He wants to be feared and powerful the one that wants the cloak wants to hide from death himself so death carves the invisibility cloak out of his own cloak yeah i remember that he said he says if i if i get this cloak like if i want this cloak you have to give it to me and once i if i put it on and never take it off you can never find me right so he it basically makes him immortal at that point the and then the Resurrection Stone, the brother wants it because his wife has died and he hopes to bring her back from the dead. How do each of their items work out for them in the story? I think the one with the cloak, so for once, takes it off and then death finds him. Not quite. 
it's that the one that wants power, once people realize the wand is so powerful, immediately they descend upon him and kill him and steal the wand. So the wand goes throughout history changing hands from any wizard seeking power to another wizard seeking power who killed him. The one that uses the resurrection stone resurrects his wife, but she comes back kind of zombified and he's not happy, right? He he wanted his wife, not zombie wife. Yeah, he gets kind of a ghoulish, ghostly version of his wife. And so being like, being uh, sad about this, I believe he kills himself. Like, hello, honey, I got <laughs> home from the store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the one that gets the cloak, however, it works fine. He doesn't seek power. He doesn't try and get anything that's not his to take. He just didn't want to die. He just hides from death. But then when he gets, you know, like a thousand years old, he's tired of being alive. And it says he greets death as a friend. He takes off the cloak, goes with death to the afterlife. So Yeah, so I was close, but he just did it on purpose instead of by accident. So this, so this is the story which Hermione is like, yeah, but it's just a story. None of this is real. And Xenophilius is like, well, whether the story is real or not, the Deathly Hallows are very real, and I am a follower, sort of a, a disciple of the Deathly Hallows. He mentions that Crumb at the wedding, this brutish oaf attacked me because he doesn't understand. What was, what was it that Crumb thought the Deathly Hallows signified? I don't know. He thought it was dark magic, and, oh. and thus evil magic. Xenophilius gets upset sort of saying that not all dark magic is evil. Like, it's dark because it came from death, but it's doesn't have to be used for evil. It's just that people have used it for evil or for bad purposes. But like, it's all in how you use it, you know? Like, they have, but they, you don't have to. Right. So, Ron and Harry are kind of along for the ride. Hermione's very skeptical saying that no, everyone's, you know, people have been looking for the Elder Wand for generations. No one's ever found it. And she just doesn't believe these could actually be things they could find. Also, what's the point? So now you're telling us we're hunting for Horcruxes and we've got to go find these Deathly Hallows now? Xenophilius goes to call Luna home again, leaving them alone. While, they're, while he's gone... The trio are discussing the Deathly Hallows, trying to figure out, do these things actually exist? Harry runs up to Luna's bedroom. She's not there. Like, it, everything looks like it hasn't been touched for at least a month. And Mr. Lovegood, I believe, he says that she's out looking for pixies or something. Yeah, and then he comes back and they ask Xenophilius, where is Luna? And he finally admits that he did not want to let them leave the house. He kept trying to make them tea and kept talking to them. Why? I don't remember. Luna's been taken by Snatchers. So why did he want them to be there? When he was calling Luna home, he was actually calling to the Death Eaters saying, I've got Harry Potter. Please give me my daughter back. Do you think Xenophilius is a bad guy for doing that? 
yes and no. He's turning in Harry Potter and his two best friends, but for his daughter. Yeah, it's a tough decision. Uh, he doesn't know Harry. He knows that Harry is probably a good guy and doesn't deserve any pain or torment, but he doesn't care. His daughter has been taken. His daughter might die. So he would do anything for her. So he he's like... They all, they all like rush up to the Quibbler room, and they look at one, like the the printing room for the Quibblers, and they look at one, and it says the headline is number uh, undesirable number one. What are you talking about now? I don't remember that. It happens. He prints a Quibbler about Harry Potter being undesirable number one. Yes. But it doesn't mean he's against Harry. I don't. It's it's because of Luna. So so the Death Eaters are like, oh, you don't you don't like Harry? Okay, we'll give you your daughter back. No, that's. I think I think you're missing something there. He Luna is taken because of what he prints in the Quibbler. So he changes what he prints. Oh, I see. Well, he's just trying to get Luna back by saying you can come take Harry. But then when the Death Eaters arrive. Xenophilius creates an explosion that blocks the stairs and they kind of have a bit of a fight and apparate with kind of a close call, right? Mm-hmm. They um, escape the attack, which brings us to chapter 22, The Deathly Hallows. So chapter 22 of The Deathly Hallows is The Deathly Hallows. <laughs> it's like in book two when they named it chapter Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. I think it also means this is the chapter where we're finally going to get into what, why we named the book, you know, what, we, what she did or whatever. So they land in a field somewhere. Hermione sets up her standard protective charms and enchantments. And now they're worried. Did, did we just leave Xenophilius to be killed? I don't know. I mean, we had to go. And he didn't seem like he was really helping us. So they hope he's okay. But... Did he did he fend off these Death Eaters or did they take him or you know we don't know what happened to him. Inside their tent, they're trying to figure out again: Are the Deathly Hallows real? Harry convinces himself that his invisibility cloak must be the invisibility cloak. No one ever seems that impressed that Harry has an invisibility cloak. We've talked about this plenty of times that seems like such a useful item if it was commonplace people would really want it and they would probably be stealing it from him but i think doesn't doesn't dung have one i don't know i think we i think we see that in the book of five harry also decides that he may be in possession of the resurrection stone how does he figure that is it the the this, what's it called? The Philosopher's Stone? No, 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 no. He thinks that perhaps Dumbledore hid the Resurrection Stone in his golden snitch that he can't seem to open. It says, I, it, yeah, it says I open it to close. So Harry has almost instantly become obsessed with the Deathly Hallows. And as these chapters go on, he will become more so. He is distracted by them constantly. He can't stay focused on the Horcrux mission. He's almost a bit unhinged and sort of 
going through a kind of a, a, a lunacy and delusion about the Deathly Hallows, especially because one of the things the story says is that the possessor of all three Deathly Hallows will become a master of death. I don't think Harry wants to be uh, invincible or immortal, but what do you think he hopes would happen if he got all the Deathly Hallows? He might he might be able to defeat Voldemort. Yeah, perhaps even without finding all the Horcruxes, because that's proving harder and harder. So he thinks maybe it might be another route to get what they want. Maybe even one that's easier, since they might already have two of the three things they need. Plus, it's only three, not like six or seven. And I think they still need to find four Horcruxes. They've they did the book, the ring. The lockets, I think that's about it. So the, as far as they know, they probably need to find four of those or possibly one hallow. He, so yes, so Hermione urges Harry, stay focused on our mission to find Horcruxes. Don't worry about Deathly Hallows. Harry falls asleep that night thinking about the Deathly Hallows sort of overcome with an intense desire to find them all. Harry's throughout their mission is focusing only on the Deathly Hallows and he's frustrated that Ron and Hermione seem to be focused on Horcruxes. In reality, it's Hermione's focused on Horcruxes and Ron is doing whatever she says. They have a bit of a confrontation over Harry's being so distracted and Ron kind of steps up and takes charge where that's not a role that he's had, especially being the one that deserted the team. Harry's been in charge or Hermione has been the one helping to make plans. But now Ron is like, I, all right, no one's paying attention to the Horcrux hunt. I'm, I'm in charge now. They continue to search various wizarding locations uh, that might give them clues and Ron tries to tune into Potter Watch, but he isn't successful. Actually, he is after like an hour. Okay. So, so, like I said, it has a password, so he had to figure out the password. So he was just putting random stuff in there until he finally got the right one. Yeah, once they do actually get able to hear Potter Watch, they hear stories about uh, people that have died including Ted Tonks. Who's Ted Tonks? Uh, uh, Nymphadora Tonks's. I think it's her dad? Hmm. Yeah, it's her dad. Because I remember in, this, in the sixth book, or wait, no, it was, it was this book. They, they take Harry by broom to to the Tonks' house. To yeah, the Tonks' house and they say that that Ted Tonks lives there. Let's see. Where He's the husband there? of Andromeda Tonks uh and the father of Nymphadora, sure. So he's passed away, so that's certainly sad for the Order of the Phoenix. He hears that Bathilda Bagshot is dead. Obviously, we know that, right? She's been dead for like a hundred years. Mm, she's been dead for like probably 
a month or so as a snake was inside her body. Pretty gross. They learn about some Death Eater activities and also uh, there is a sort of a editorial read from Lupin just stating that he believes Harry Potter is still alive. Why is that important? To put hope out there? Exactly. Not only that, but I think maybe Harry has not considered the idea that people are wondering if he's still alive. This is our first real realization that the the Order and the Wizarding World in general don't know what Harry's doing at all. Like, Harry could be fighting the, like, 25 Death Eaters right now, or he could be sleeping in bed. Yeah, there's no communication between Harry and the Order, or Harry and anyone that isn't Ron or Hermione. So, after signing off uh, from this broadcast, Harry and Ron and Hermione feel much better. They they feel like they've at least got some contact with with their friends, right? Yeah, and they say that the password for next week is, I believe it's Mad Eye, which is dangerous because if that means if you broke in one week, you could find it the next week. Doesn't seem super secure. Well, I that makes me curious of how you how you got on to the first episode. Sure, someone would have had to. It would have to be word of mouth. One of the hosts would have to tell someone who told someone who told someone who just told someone. Well, how do you know that? Uh, that the pers- one of the people that gets told is evil. You only tell your friends. Well, I w- well, like, I was thinking, like, the host would have to tell this person who told this person and then eventually gets to a person who seems to be nice, but it's evil. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's probably one of the dangers they're facing. They're trying to discuss what they've heard on Potter Watch and accidentally even though ron tries to stop him what does harry say voldemort he accidentally says voldemort triggering the taboo spell the sneakoscope goes nuts announcing that snatchers have arrived like that quickly yeah it means that like they were literally able to apparate it might even be involuntary it might be that once the name is uttered death eaters immediately apparate to whatever location you know so like they could they could be in Texas and uh, the person could have been in China. You could have just like zip 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 and you're there. Chapter twenty three, Malfoy Manor. I th- I think uh, I think he gets to vol-, vol and then Ron's like no and then more and then no, Ertz, and he's like what what did I say? Okay, chapter twenty three, Malfoy Manor. The trio are surrounded by Snatchers. Hermione shoots a spell at Harry's face. Why does she do that? To change his appearance, I think. Yeah, it's it sort of mangles his face beyond recognition. I think it like blows up his face or something. Who is the leader of this particular group of Snatchers? Is it is it the werewolf? Yes, guy? it's Fenrir Greyback. We learn eventually that Fenrir Greyback is not a Death Eater because they think werewolves are dirty, but he is allowed to wear Death Eater robes and to run with the Death Eaters 
because of how willing he is to kill anyone or torture anyone that Voldemort says to. We also know that he is the werewolf that scratched uh, Bill. And and he's the werewolf who bit Lupin at a young age. Right, right. So he's... You want to say he's got it coming, right? Like he's... Someone needs to take care of this guy. So they get dragged off. Hermione... Ron and a now disfigured Harry. They get questioned about their blood status. Do you remember kind of how they go about that? I think they either all say pure blood or they all say uh, half blood. One of them, I think, says half blood, but they all make fake names. Yeah, Harry, I don't remember who he does, and Ron, I don't remember who he does either, but I know that Hermione does Penelope Clearwater, uh, you know, yeah, I think she says, girlfriend. I think she says Penelope Clearwater Half-Blood or something like that. And it's very smart, if I'm remembering this correctly, that one of them says Half-Blood because, think about this. Let's say you have 10 questions on a test, but you cheated and you know all the questions ahead of time, you know all the right answers. What do you think would happen if you filled out all the right answers, got a 100, turned it in in five minutes, and the whole class is still working on the test? Like if it was the star test or something, you know. What do you think would happen if you did that? You would, they would know that you cheated, so you, ha- you have to purposely get like two or three questions wrong. Exactly. So she is sort of hedging her bet here that if we all say pure blood, pure blood, pure blood, and we love Voldemort. <laughs> we, actually, that's why we said Voldemort. We said Voldemort because we were just saying, we love, and everyone said Voldemort. Oh, right, we're not supposed to say it. That level of sucking up or whatever or is too obvious, right? You know it's fake. Like, so if one of them says half-blood, you know they weren't saying Voldemort for fun and they weren't because that's lying and blah, blah, blah. They're admitting to what the Snatchers would consider a lesser crime. So it's like maybe they'll be mad at us, but they might not murder us on the spot. Like they, they'll be mad at us, but might, maybe not as mad at us. Harry says his name is Stan Shunpike at this point, I believe. Oh. The driver of the night bus. Um, they, the Snatchers check their sort of book, and they're like, none of your names are in here, which is weird. It makes me wonder, what names have they collected? Is it all wizards, all purebloods, all half-bloods? Like, I don't know. I don't know what, what sort of list they've got. But they are taken to Malfoy Manor. Harry can, at this point, see through Voldemort's mind again uh, that Voldemort is flying to the top of a tower. Although, uh, backtrack a little here, I think that that at least one of them says that they're Slytherin. Okay. So Harry sees another Voldemort vision. Voldemort flies to a tower that Harry doesn't recognize. He sees him encountering a man in a prison cell who's screaming, I never had it, I never had it. Harry comes out of the vision, and at the door of Malfoy Manor, Narcissa, who is uh, 
Draco's mom, answers, she's told by Fenrir that he's got Harry Potter, at least he thinks he does. I'm kind of curious as to why Fenrir thinks he's got Harry Potter, since he didn't identify himself as Harry Potter and he doesn't look like Harry Potter, but whatever. I think he eventually sees the scar, like his hair gets flipped around. He thinks, but it's disfigured, so he's not sure. Narcissa leads everybody, the Snatchers, Harry, everybody, into the drawing room. In the drawing room, Lucius is there, Narcissa is there, Bellatrix Lestrange is there. They're trying to figure out, is this kid Harry Potter? How do they decide, or what do they decide to use as a, a, a method of determining Harry's identity? I don't know. Who's there that can vouch whether or not this is Harry Potter? Wait, is is it the wand maker? It's Draco. Oh. You don't remember them asking Draco to identify Harry? No. So they say, Draco, look at him. Do you know Harry Potter? Is this Harry Potter? Draco is probably fairly sure this is Harry Potter, but he's 100% sure this is Ron and Hermione. So you got Ron, you got Hermione, and you got, and you got a, a brown-haired kid. You got, you got a person who looks like Harry. Obviously it's them. But he does not identify any of them. Why do you think that is? So that not so. Is it is it because in the last book he remembers he was scared to kill Dumbledore? Similar. It's that he's not a nice guy. But he's not. But he's not a murderer. He's not. He, he might be not the nicest person in the world, but he's not evil like like uh like okay to do lists. Kill a person. Okay, yeah, let's he's go not, and do that. He's not a murderer. He he's probably pretty close to as bad as it gets. He doesn't care about people and he doesn't care about right or wrong, but there's a line he doesn't want to cross. And actually J.K. Rowling has said before that no matter what happened, he never would have killed Dumbledore. Like, he's as bad as it gets without being physically evil. And I think he knows if I say, well, that's Ron and Hermione, so the third guy is almost definitely Harry, they're probably all dead within a matter of minutes. Narcissa and Bellatrix are worried that if they call Voldemort and say, I've got Harry Potter, and then it's not him... Like they wait for the spell to wear off, and it's and it's just a kid that likes Harry, and he's a weird haircut like Harry, but he doesn't have the scar. Voldemort is going to be upset and take it out on them. We also know that part of Voldemort's plans involve disciplining his own Death Eaters with the Cruciatus Curse because he makes Draco do it. I think it's fun for him to watch someone who does not want to be physically violent to have to torture someone else or he'll be the one tortured shows what a a sick puppy Voldemort is they're going through the stuff these three kids have and something catches Bellatrix's eye what item in their possession does Bellatrix immediately recognize is it the portraits no it's the sword of Gryffindor 
where does she think that sword's supposed to be? In her Gringotts bank. In her vault? Yeah, vault. Now, she knows that there is a fake one at Hogwarts. She knows the real one is supposed to be in her vault. So which one is this? She doesn't know. But she's upset nonetheless, right? Yes. Bellatrix is so freaked out by the sword. She has Harry and Ron sent to the cellar, which is kind of their makeshift dungeon now. But she keeps Hermione. Not entirely sure why she makes that choice. It's... It's so that she can torture something out of her. Right, but I just wonder why it would be her and not the thing, the person they believe to be Harry. Locked in the cellar, who do Ron and Harry discover is already there? Um, the wand maker that we like, I forgot his name. Well, not yet. The first person they meet is Luna. So now we know that Luna was being held by Death Eater. She's being held in this very room. Oh, Ollivander's. I think, I think they meet him. They, Luna is somehow able to undo Ron and Harry's sort of the ropes they're tied up with. I'm not sure why she still has a wand or is allowed to do magic, but without thinking, Harry whips out the mirror the, the shard, the, the sort of two-way talking mirror that he has, and again thinks he sees Dumbledore's eye in it and begs for help. Some part of him thinks, I don't know what this is, but it's Dumbledore, who I know is dead. Maybe this mirror talks to dead people. I don't know, but he needs help. Do they hear, what do they hear coming from upstairs? Shrieks. Yeah, and it's Hermione. So Hermione is being tortured now by Bellatrix. They're not in good spirits, obviously. Harry, uh, we go back to Hermione, who claims that the Gryffindor sword they have is a copy. How does Bellatrix think she will be able to verify this? It's with Griphook. She sends for Griphook, the goblin, because Gryffindor's sword is a goblin sword. Oh. So she assumes that Griphook would be able to tell her for sure, is this a real goblin sword or is this a a fake? And if it is a fake, then, I mean, if it is real, who's been in my vault and why and what else is missing from there, you know? This opens a lot of questions for her that make her very uneasy. Draco comes down to the cellars to fetch Griphook, who is also chained up down there. We don't really know why. It's just convenient for him to be there at this point. I guess it's the idea is they've been snatching people all the time. and it's Gri- just Griphook or Draco? Griphook. What I'm saying is we don't know why he's been kidnapped, but he's down there. Then who shows up to offer help? I don't remember, but for some reason I remember them apparating. It's Dobby. How does Dobby get there? I think I think he apparates inside because house elves can operate inside places that you're not allowed to apparate. Again, showing that wizards, especially 
evil wizards don't take house elves seriously. If and if and if we did, house elves would be ruling the world by now. If they wanted to, which they no, they never would. It's just not part of their nature. But when you're setting up spells that say no one can apparate in and out of this place, and you don't even bother to ban house elves, it just shows that you don't consider them a threat. Well, sure enough, not, not only can Dobby show up, but he is able to take Luna, Griphook, and you're right, Ollivander is there as well, to Shell Cottage. And he's like, sure thing, Harry. Zaps him in, zaps him out. What about Luna? He says Luna, Griphook, Ollivander oh, to Shell College. I didn't hear you say Luna. The Death Eaters above hear Dobby disapparating, sort of a lightning crack sound, and send Wormtail to investigate. Obviously, Wormtail is there as a faithful servant of Voldemort. Wormtail comes down to the cellar, is surprised to see that it's not all dark, and is immediately tackled by Harry and Ron. When he reaches his silver hand to choke Harry, what does Harry say to stop him? I don't know. Harry says, you owe me your life. I made Remus and Sirius spare you. You'd be dead if it wasn't for me. Wormtail hesitates to kill Harry. And then what does his silver hand do? It starts choking him, but it seems he's not doing it. It's like unwillingly. Now, this is incredibly interesting to me. Because obviously, where did he get the silver hand? Voldemort. Voldemort chopped off his hand. And then as a reward, gave him this sort of magical robot hand. Like gave it back to him. But in all of that, in that moment apparently programmed in a spell that says, if you ever are disloyal to me, to Voldemort, this hand has a, a failsafe in it that's going to kill you. And it does. It chokes him to death. It also shows that Voldemort doesn't care about Wormtail because at the first sign of hesitation to kill Harry... The, the hand kills him. It's so it doesn't even give him a second chance. So, so, there, so there are two reasons that he has that hand that are convenient to Voldemort. One, if he, if he, well, for the first reason he had to give the hand to Wormtail is that he would have eventually bled out and then died from having enough blood. Uh, so that's bad because... Not only does he die, Voldemort doesn't care about that, though, but he doesn't have a servant. At that time, Wormtail was the only person in the graveyard helping Voldemort. So he certainly doesn't want Wormtail dead just immediately. And if he, if he didn't give Wormtail a hand and then somehow he survived, that this would have never happened. Sure. With Wormtail now dead... The cellar is easy to escape. Harry and Ron run up the stairs. They hear Griphook telling Bellatrix that it's not the real sword. It's a fake. Which, is that true? Well, it can't be because, because they destroyed the Horcrux with it. So Griphook is... He's lying. If not on their side, he's at least against Bellatrix for 
some reason or another. Like, he might not like Harry, Ron, and Hermione, or the side of Harry at all, but he, we know that he doesn't like Bellatrix. Not quite. I, I'll, I'll get into what I think his motivations are here in just a second. I could be wrong, but he tells him the sword is a fake. Bellatrix calls for Voldemort and orders Hermione's death. Harry and Ron run into the room as now I believe this is still Harry seeing this vision. Voldemort kills who we now know is the wizard Grindelwald. Grindelwald was the wizard in the tower in the prison claiming I never had it. I never had it. What do you think they're talking about at this point? Who's talking about? What do you think I never had it is in reference to? I never had the wands. Yeah, so they the think they wand. think that Voldemort's searching for the Elder Wand. And that Voldemort learned from Gregorovich that Grindelwald had it. He finds Grindelwald locked in a tower. I don't never had or never had it. Kills him. Like, okay, thanks for the info. Not. There is a... sort of a scuffle with uh, Ron, Hermione, Harry, Bellatrix, but they know Voldemort's on the way. Harry can only think of one way out of there. Uh, Bellatrix grabs Hermione and holds a knife to her throat. And, like, she gives her, like... Uh, maybe two inch long cut along. Yeah, she she draws blood showing that I will kill her. But then what falls on her head? Bellatrixes or Hermione's? Sort of both, but Bellatrix. <laughs> uh is it is it the chandelier? Yeah, and who who made it fall? I don't remember. It's Dobby. Oh. Dobby's up there cutting down the chandelier. He's sort of like, hey, look at me, I helped. <laughs> chandelier falls on Bellatrix's head. Hermione is freed. And Griphook grabs Gryffindor's sword. And then with Dobby's help, they all apparate to Shell Cottage. Here's where I think Griphook's true motivation is revealed. If he says, yeah, that's the real sword of Gryffindor. What's going to happen to that sword? They're going to confiscate it. Bellatrix will take it back, put it back in her vault. If why do you why do you think the sword of Gryffindor was in Bellatrix's vault in the first place? She stole it. But why is it important that it be in a Death Eater's possession? I don't know. It destroys Horcruxes. So perhaps the sword cannot be destroyed. But Voldemort says. This thing is dangerous for me. I got these Horcruxes out there. This thing can kill them. You need to get this sword, put it in a vault. It's also possible that even though Voldemort hated the ideals of Godric Gryffindor, that he, all, he respected the founders of Hogwarts so that he would not want to destroy Gryffindor's sword, even if he had the option. But he, he thought it would be safe in Bellatrix's vault. Apparently it wasn't, because now they've got it. 
So Griphook grabs the sword, I think showing that that's what he actually wanted. Not so much to be against Voldemort and not so much to help Harry, just to get a sword back because it's a goblin-made item, right? So he might believe that it actually belongs to him. They apparate to Shell Cottage, but just as they disappear in sort of the apparition cloud, what does Bellatrix do? I don't remember. Well, who doesn't make it? Doesn't make what? Who doesn't survive this apparition? Dobby. What happens to Dobby? I think that the sword goes through his chest or something. No, Bellatrix throws a knife into them as they apparate, hitting Dobby in the chest. As they arrive on the beach at Shell Cottage, Dobby, uh, they think they're safe, right? Yes. But Dobby is obviously not safe. Hare runs over to tend to him, hopefully thinking that he's going to be fine. But I think it goes through his heart, not just his chest, because I believe if it uh, if it goes through like the middle of your chest, not your heart, you'll bleed out if you're not tended to. Uh, a knife in the chest isn't going to go well for anybody. Your lungs are there, your heart's there, lots of blood vessels. It, regardless of where it hit him, if his anatomy is anything like a human's, probably not going to do so well, especially him being so small. So Harry, Harry cradles Dobby, begs him, please don't die, please don't die. Do you remember what Dobby's final words are? He says, Harry Potter. Bleh. <laughs> and he passes away. Chapter 24, The Wand Maker. So Dobby has just been murdered by Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange. How did you feel when you realized Dobby wasn't coming back? Probably, probably the same as I did when Sirius when Sirius died. You think you think he's that important of a character? Well, yeah, because he in the in the first book he was the one who gave Harry the idea of Gillyweed. Or not the first not book, the first fourth book. book. Fourth book. Dobby's been there for a lot of significant moments in Harry's life. He's, 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 sometimes he's even kept him alive. Multiple times he is. Including book two. Saved Harry's life and, and sometimes the lives of Harry's friends. And Harry eventually began to see him as a person. I don't think if you said, Harry, name your four best friends. I don't think Dobby would be one of them. But I think it's because he's not a human. Because if you really break it down, Dobby has been more faithful and more loyal and more kind to Harry than probably anyone alive except for Ron and Hermione. He certainly had Harry's back more than Dumbledore did. Dobby never intentionally put Harry in danger just to see what would happen. 
Dumbledore did that all the time. So I think at this moment, Harry realizes how important Dobby was and how much he'll be missed. Like you never truly realize how much you miss a person until they're gone. How does... What does Harry decide to do with Dobby's body? Uh, dig a little grave and like give him a professional like ceremonial funeral. He not only that, but he he wants to dig the grave himself. He digs he digs it by hand, not by magic, because he feels like uh, the labor doing that should be put in to such an important person. Yeah, that's interesting that he could probably just blast a hole in the sand and and or in the ground and you know six feet deep but he gets a spade from or a little shovel from bill and does it by hand and i think that's part of the beginning of the grieving process for him he thinks to himself that you know dumbledore's funeral had all of these heads of state and all these important people in this grand marble tomb and so solemn and that Dobby deserved just as good as that, but won't get it. Instead, he gets, you know, a hand dug grave and a small stone. Do you remember what they write on the stone? No. Here lies Dobby, a free elf. Why do you think that was important to them? So that it will be remembered that he was free and he was, he was killed in by, like, what am I trying to say? Sort of importance? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the inscription doesn't imply how he died, but the fact that it says a free elf is very, it's uncommon. There probably aren't that many free elves. They don't want to be free, as we've seen over and over. They don't know to want to be free. They're, they're stuck in a cycle of oppression thousands and thousands of years old, to the point that perhaps, had he lived, Dobby might have led more and more and more elves to freedom. But maybe that dream dies with him. Maybe it doesn't. Like, it might have been like an Order of the Phoenix, but for house elves who want to be free. Yeah, I mean, and he... He certainly tried to help them, you know, wear clothes and, and other stuff like that, but they don't, they rejected him a lot. So he was a weird guy in terms of elves, uh, but he was a, a very good friend to Harry. As the night goes on, Harry is thinking about the Horcruxes and the Hallows and which one is more important. Uh, as he was digging Dobby's grave, he discovers that he now has the ability to shut Voldemort out of his mind. The visions used to take him over. Uh, but, but now he seems to be able to push Voldemort out. And he makes a decision. He says he thinks to himself he knows what he has to do. Ron and Dean, who was also at Shell Cottage, come out to see Harry in the morning. And they're joined by the others in they, where they have this ceremony, this small funeral for Dobby. Luna says something over the grave. She says goodbye to him. She may be the one that is the most, I don't know, uh, willing to accept Dobby as a person, maybe just because of how she sees things, how she sees the world so differently. As they depart, Harry stays there with the grave and puts Here Lies Dobby, a free elf on it. I think Harry thinks that message is important, that 
anyone who stops by that place will know that they're, first of all, they may not even understand that there ever was a free elf. So it's kind of a, a landmark in both place and time. Harry goes to find Bill and the others talking in the living room. And he learns that the Weasleys are no longer at the borough. What, what's, what's happened to them? Were they kidnapped by snatchers? No, they were just moved to safety because oh. they're probably high-value targets at this point. He needs to talk to Griphook and Mr. Ollivander. This is part of this plan that Harry has concocted. He wonders if... Did Dumbledore know all this would happen? Did he know what was going to happen to Ron, to Wormtail, and to Harry? He he always has sort of these doubts in his mind, right? About yeah. whether Dumbledore was truly on his side. Or how much on his side he was, I guess. Or, or, or like how much he believed in him. You know, we've seen in the past that he's also wondered how much he was being manipulated by Dumbledore. He He doesn't always understand... Am I a pawn of Dumbledore? Am I his friend? Am I his student? What's a pawn? Uh, someone who's being moved around against their willing, against their knowledge. Okay, I feel like it's pawn slash student slash friend. It's complicated, for sure. It's not an easy answer. Like, it's, it's, not, a simp- it's not a simple yes or no. No, of course not. No, not at all. Uh, Harry wants to talk to Griphook and Griphook is surprised and impressed that Harry buried Dobby. I think that Harry did not do that to impress Griphook, but Griphook is shocked that a human would sort of debase themselves to bury someone more like him. A goblin and an elf are more similar to each other than they are to humans, I think. And so he's he's impressed that Harry would truly respect an elf as he's as he's died. Harry's like, that's cool. I need to break into Gringotts and I need you to help me. <laughs> so like, yeah, we're all we're all sad and everything, but yeah, I need your help. It's possible that in Grip Hook's sort of hesitation to help, he might have been pushed more to helping Harry by the way he treated Dobby. He wants to break into Lestrange's vault. And Ron is typically like his sort of dumb self. And he's, he's like, you're going to help us whether you want to or not. And he's like, hey, chill out, dude. We're, we're talking to him like a person. Let's be nice. You know, let's, let's ask for his help. He, he's not a dog. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is the point where he addresses it, but do you remember what Griphook demands in exchange for helping them? No. Well, what do we just talk about that Griphook might want back? The sword. The sword of Gryffindor. Griphook explains at some point, maybe it's here, that Goblin Law states that if goblins forge a sword and the person that owns it, the person they forged it for, dies, it returns to the goblin that made it. Human law ignores that completely. Right? Yeah. So they just pass it along to 
whoever the, the, the dead human might have wanted to give it to. In this case, it was willed by Dumbledore to Harry. The Ministry of Magic said it was not Dumbledore's to give, belongs to us. And that's wrong, too. And not only that, but we don't have it because it's missing. So everyone has a different idea of who this sword actually belongs to. I think it's safe to say at this point it doesn't matter who it belongs to. Harry should have it to save the world from ultimate evil. Harry agrees, though. If you help us do this, we will give you back the sword. For some reason. They got to get in the vault, according to Harry, according to whatever plan he's got. Then he heads off to talk to Ollivander. Uh, Ron and Hermione are suspicious that... The reason Bellatrix was so adamant about who's been in my vault? Have you been in my vault? How did you get this? Do you remember why they think she's so worried about the vault? She has a lot of money. No, it's that she may have a Horcrux or more in her vault. So that's why they think this is a good idea to go break into her vault. Harry goes to talk to Mr. Ollivander. And Mr. Ollivander teaches them about wand lore. Do you know what that means? Wand lord or lore? Lore. That I believe that if a if the master of a wand dies, it can't it can like restate its allegiance. That's part of it. Now, what I, what I was saying more generally is that wand lore lore means like legend or law, even, oh. and so. He's telling them about sort of the the powers that govern wands, which is really bizarre that no one seems to know this. This is one of those information things that always bothers me in the Harry Potter universe is that this seems like this should be day one of Hogwarts. Hey, here's how wands work, but they don't get into that. So Mr. Ollivander explains that wand lore states, like you said, that... A wand has an allegiance to its master, but it can change that allegiance. It'll, it can change allegiance when it's won after a duel. It can change allegiance if you disarm a person. And he also mentions, which is why, Harry, that you actually now own Draco's wand. You remember that? Not at all. Harry is using Draco's wand at this point, and he's like, oh. it's working pretty well for me. And he goes, yeah, you won it by disarming him. So it's, it's a, and he checks it because he's tuned in to wands. And so he kind of looks at it and feels it and sniffs it or whatever. And he goes, yeah, yeah, this is your wand now. This belongs to you. I, I don't remember that being Draco's wand. Well, it is. So Harry is now the master of Draco's wand. So despite having lost his, which sucks, he does have a wand that has allegiance to him now, which is good for him, right? Mm-hmm. Mr. Ollivander also says that Voldemort is definitely seeking the Elder Wand, that he desires it above all else, and he thinks it'll finally be the thing that gives him ultimate power. He went to Grigorovich to find it, killed Grigorovich. Grigorovich said it's, Grindelwald has it, so he goes to Grindelwald, kills Grindelwald, still doesn't have it. And he asks Mr. Ollivander, what do you know about the Deathly Hallows? Mr. Ollivander says, 
I've never even heard of that. What are you talking about? That seems unlikely, but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> seems weird. Um, he also mentions a thing about wands that I don't think anyone seems to know, and that wands learn magic as their wizards learn magic. So, for instance, Harry gets his wand on day one. No one's ever used this wand, ever. And so they say, do an Expelliarmus. The wand and Harry know nothing. So they say, do an Expelliarmus. Harry does it. Practice it, practice it, practice it. Gets better. The wand is actually getting better, too. Which means if someone won that wand from Harry, and they tried to do the same spell, it would be easier. So that's interesting. It also implies what about the Elder Wand, which is thousands and thousands of years old and has been owned by many powerful wizards. It is physically the the best wand in history ever. Why? Because it's so powerful. It probably knows like every spell that has ever existed that can be done with the wands. Right. So not only was it made by death and already an unbeatable wand, but... The only people that have ever sought it or owned it have been very powerful wizards. So every bit of amazing magic they've done is kind of st- stuck in the wand, built into it, if you will. So that means each new person that gets it benefits from every other wizard that's owned it. So like, it's doubly powerful. Like if a first year, like if Ron got was in first when is in his first year and he got his wand from his oldest brother uh passed down to him then he would be like best in the class because of his wand sure maybe i don't know if ron could wield it i don't think ron could handle all that power personally <laughs> i'm but, just saying but yeah he might have been a little bit better off than he was with his crappy hand-me-down wand also, that's interesting that Ron had a hand-me-down wand, which means I guess you can gift a wand from the family. This belonged to your great-grandfather or whatever, and that makes it his as well. It's, it's like if a ring was in a family for years and years and it's been passed down. Except I wonder what that means in terms of the wand chooses the wizard, because it might imply that Ron's wand did not choose him, that it was actually a gift from a family member. So when Ron or when Harry is done talking to Ollivander and Griphook, he's going to fill Ron and Harry in on what he learned from his vision, from from seeing through Voldemort's mind. He knows that Grindelwald, again, this is the wizard that Voldemort just killed in a tower. Grindelwald is also the wizard famously defeated by Dumbledore. Grindelwald is also the wizard that we now know from the biography of Dumbledore, the articles that Rita Skeeter wrote, may have been his childhood best friend. So he's an important guy. Also, because remember, him and Dumbledore had the same ideals of like, we will rule the world through might. But that was when they were like in 20. Yeah, in their 20s. So maybe Dumbledore changed his mind, but Grindelwald did not. Anyway, Grindelwald stole the Elder One from Gregorovich. Dumbledore won the Elder Wand when he killed, or sorry, defeated, because he was still alive, 
when he defeated Grindelwald. So what's the Elder Wand? Dumbledore's Wand. It's been Dumbledore's Wand since day one. We know that Dumbledore is supposedly the most powerful wizard in the world. What we don't know is he's been casually walking around with the most powerful wand in the world. And, and I wonder, does anyone alive other than Ollivander, Grindelwald, and Grigorovich, two of those people who are now dead, did anyone know? That he was carrying it? Was it a secret? Like, like, do, 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 I'm walking with the most powerful wand ever. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be like if everyone around you was in a, you know, a tiny smart car and you just happened to be driving a tank. It's, I would think it would almost be obvious, but we are learning that this stuff is, is pretty secret. Most people don't even believe in the Deathly Hallows. Most people don't care about them. So, the idea that there is this all-powerful wand it may be such a legend that no one even thinks to believe it. Turns out it's the one Dumbledore was stirring his tea with. So that's interesting to me. Um, it shows that there is, Harry's had this proximity, this closeness to one of the Deathly Hallows. Like, like infinite power! For years and years and years and not even known it. Also, if he's right that his invisibility cloak is a Deathly Hallow, there's two of them that have been in his life since he was a first year. Which is crazy to me. They leave Mr. Ollivander and Harry realizes at the same time that he's telling this story, he zips into Voldemort's mind. Do you remember what he sees? No. Voldemort has made the same discovery through killing Grigorovich and Grindelwald that Dumbledore's wand is the Elder Wand. So he goes to get it. I guess one of them told him then. Well, Grigorovich said Grindelwald has it. Grindelwald says, I never had it. Dumbledore got it. He goes to Dumbledore's tomb and cracks the stone. Like in half. Floats it away and steals the wand out of Dumbledore's hand. He wonders to himself, Voldemort wonders, did you think this was safe? Did you think I would be too scared to rob your grave or too respectful of you? Why Like, why do you think this is a good enough place to hide this wand? Exactly. My thought is, no one knew this was the Elder Wand, and perhaps Dumbledore had not quite specified what was to be done with it. Like, he didn't put it in his will or anything. Or, he may have thought, there is nowhere safe for this wand. There is no one I could leave this wand to. So if they put it in my tomb, and someone steals it, that's as good as me giving it to anybody. I don't know. He may have trusted no one, not Harry, not anybody, to take the Elder Wand. Uh, more likely, it's that this story would not work. <laughs> if Voldemort couldn't steal the Elder Wand, so because I remember you saying like like uh, from book four, J.K. Rowling had every single book figured out, most likely uh, mapped out. Sure, and it's and it, the idea is that she also said that she knew from the moment she created Dobby how and when he was going to die, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, it's just the story needs. Uh, Voldemort to be able to find this wand and possibly use it against Harry. So that's probably why it was in the tomb. 
uh, and he has it. Voldemort steals it and sort of desecrates Dumbledore's grave. Chapter 25, Shell Cottage. As the day at Shell Cottage goes on, Harry wonders if he made the right decision allowing Voldemort to get the Elder Wand. I'm not sure how he thinks this was his decision. Could he have somehow stopped him through their shared mental connection or what? Or is he, or is he saying that because I wasn't trying hard enough to get the Deathly Hallows myself, that allowed Voldemort to get it? I don't know. I don't remember if he, if he specifies that. In the Garden of Shell Cottage, Ron and Hermione are arguing over whether Dumbledore is really dead. Why would they think Dumbledore might be alive? No idea. Well, Harry did see who he thought was Dumbledore in the broken mirror. He begged for help, and then Dobby showed up. And now Dobby's dead, and they can't say, like, it was all action, 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 then Dobby's dead. At no point could they say, hey, Dobby, who sent you? How did you even know we were here in the first place? Yeah, but he was buried. Why would he let them bury him if he wasn't dead? Why does Dumbledore do anything, you know? His plans are all so secret and and so many machinations involved that maybe he had a deeper plan. I don't know. Like, like he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't just go to the library and uh, pick out a book and say, oh, I want to read this book today. What, what do you mean by that? Like... All, all his actions... Have, You're saying he doesn't do anything normal? Or small? He does everything big and grand? Like, he has everything planned out. He, do, he doesn't just do stuff for no reason. Maybe. I don't think he does anything for no reason, but he does... We know for a fact that he spent at least a year searching for Horcruxes, which means he didn't really have a plan. He was in the dark about some things, but he keeps ever, other people in the dark about his plans as well. So... He was a complicated dude. Uh, Griphook ha- asks to see Harry. Griphook tells Harry and Ron and Hermione. Ah, I'm sorry. This is where I was confused. He tells them now that I will help you break into Lestrange's vault, but you have to give me back the sword. He says it was stolen from a goblin long after Godric Gryffindor died. They go to, they go to discuss what they should do at this point. Uh, after a sort of a brief debate, Harry, Ron, and Hermione settle on the least bad option, which is we will give Grip, Grip Hook the sword, but they decide we won't tell him when. So in their mind, it's, yeah, we'll give you the sword after we kill all the Horcruxes. You'll get it eventually, you know? Just, but just not now. He probably thinks the moment they break into Grip Hook's they'll give him the sword. They're being a little bit dishonest with him. Well, not really. Mm, Yes, really. They're being intentionally withholding of information. Going back to Griphook, here agrees, yeah, we'll give you the sword in exchange for your help getting into Gringotts. Let's plan this break-in. We got to come up with all kinds of stuff. We can't just walk in the front door and, and fight our way in, you know? Harry, Ron, and Hermione are spending much of their days shut in with Griphook. Like it's got to be—it's got to be one of those deals where they had the plan for sneaking the Ministry of Magic. Exactly, and more complicated because Griphooks is probably far more secure than the Ministry. They spend days and days making plans with Gr- Griphook, and he begins to 
wear on their nerves. He's a hard guy to deal with. He's abrasive and brash. He doesn't like humans very much. They don't like him. But they realize nothing else we can do, right? This is the guy. This is the guy that's going to get us into Gringotts. So the weird thing is they're going to sacrifice all of this time and effort getting into Gringotts on the hunch that there's something important hidden in Bellatrix's uh, vault. They don't know anything, right? No. Not for certain. In the kitchen with Floor, Harry, Harry apologizes for bringing all this trouble to her house, you know? Obviously, they know it's rough times, and they probably want to help, but at the same time, they just keep sending fugitives to her house to recuperate, and it's a lot to deal with. He's like, don't worry about it, though. We'll, we'll, we'll be leaving soon. Harry follows Luna and Dean into the sitting room, and Luna discusses uh, something about crumple, horn, crumple horned snorkaks, and it shows that, you know, even in, when all this weird crap is going on, she's still herself. She's still warning people about Monsters that may or may not be real and worried about possibly fictional creatures and whatnot. Ollivander shows up and tells everyone goodbye. He takes a tiara from Floor to deliver to one of her aunts and departs to stay with this with this with this aunt of hers. I I think I remember what color was it? Wait. No idea. Well, I remember seeing some sort of tiara when we went to Wizarding World. We'll get into that eventually. That, I'm guessing eventually is in like the next six chapters. This is this is not that tiara. But yes, you did see a mysterious tiara at Wizarding World. It was uh I think it was Ravenclaw's, wasn't it? We'll talk about that soon enough. Uh. Or you'll read about that soon enough. Bill comes home partway through dinner. Uh, and lets Ron know that I've spoken with your family. They're all good. They say hi. Luna starts discussing her father's recreation of the diadem of Ravenclaw, but she is interrupted by a knock at the door. What's a diadem? It is a tiara <sighs> that belongs to Ravenclaw. Uh, but she doesn't get to get into it too much, what that is or why it's important. Why? Because that would be easy for you. Uh, turns out it's Remus Lupin at the door, letting everybody know that what has happened to Nymphadora. Is this where she had the kid? Yes. What's the kid's name? I don't remember. She names him Teddy after her father, who has just recently died. And what do they ask Harry to do for this child? Look after him? Not quite. They ask oh, him wait. to be... What? Be his godfather? Be his godfather. Same thing that Sirius was to him. That means if something happens to us, you will take care of Teddy. Bill takes Harry aside as they're finishing up dinner and says, Hey, man, you're going to do what you got to do, but don't trust goblins. He... Let's Harry know that this is also what I've already mentioned, that a goblin's idea of ownership is very different than that of a wizard's and that he believes that the sword belongs to the goblin that made it. But he also it's it's not so much. I don't think it's so much of a uh, 
a stereotype in that it may just be an accurate that, hey, goblins just don't deal straight with humans. They, they like themselves. They like each other. It's in their nature. Which is a stereotype. That, that's really, that's the definition of a stereotype. So it's hard to tell if he's being sort of goblin racist or if he's just right that, hey, goblins are not going to do what they say they're going to do when it comes to humans because they just don't care about us. They don't trust us or something. It's in their DNA. Maybe, which again is the way that people would make horrible stereotypes about other people. So you would hope that Bill is wrong and that even goblins will have... Have mercy. Well, just at least have their own character traits without, being, without all being lumped into the same, the same kind of group, but who knows? Um, we'll find out that Bill was probably right. Which, <laughs> anyway. Uh, the night before the big break-in to Gringotts, Harry and Hermione are discussing Bellatrix's wand and how much they hate it. I think, is it that that's one of the wands they stole? I can't remember. I know they stole three wands as they left, and one of those was Draco's. So maybe they've got Bellatrix's too. Oh, I remember what. I remember. Yes, of course they have Bellatrix's because they will have to present it eventually to Gringotts as like a key. Oh, for a wizard, their wand is basically their, their ID card, like their driver's license. If you want to prove who you are, you would present your wand. So they do have Bellatrix's wand. So, so like, uh, it's sort of like when you get pulled over because you were speeding, uh, and the cop says, show me your driving's license. Sort of something like that. How do you... How do you think... Or why do you think they would just hate the sight, especially the touch of Bellatrix's wand? What does that wand represent? I don't know. What has been done with that wand? What did Bellatrix do with that wand? It she killed Sirius. Yeah. Well, most likely we we never figured out if she did a vodka cadaver or if she just d- did a spell to knock him into the thing. Either way, she killed Sirius with that wand. She has also like used that wand. She's also used that wand to torture Hermione. She's every horrible thing she's done has been done with that wand. But most importantly, she killed Sirius with it. Like one way or another, she did it. It would be like holding the gun that killed your relative. You would hate that item. You would. You wouldn't even want to touch it or look at it. But they've got to use it, hold it. They've got to probably do magic with it. It's going to be awful. Harry is also wondering, the final thing he wonders here is, how am I going to keep Griphook from stealing this sword halfway through our mission? Why does Harry have to keep the sword at all costs? So that, so that they can destroy all the Horcruxes. Assuming there's a Horcrux just sitting in this vault. Sure would be nice to have a way to get rid of it, you know. He knows there may be other ways to destroy Horcruxes, but it, does he have time to find them? No. So he's already got a weapon that can do the job. It is imperative that he not lose this sword. But I believe it's also important to Harry that he not go back on his word to Griphook. If anything, Harry's got integrity. Harry would probably not lie to even to someone he thought was evil 
if 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 it would do him good. He would still he's he's honest. Think about how he dealt with um oh that pink lady. Um Pink Lady? Yeah, the frog. What's her name? Uh Umbridge. Umbridge. Think about how he dealt with Umbridge and how his final line with her, I must not tell lies. You know, he he did trick her a bit, but he was still straight in his dealings. He wouldn't lie and say that what she wanted to hear so that she would leave him alone, you know? He had integrity. He always told the truth. Even though she didn't believe him. So that is it for this episode. When we come back, we'll be on chapter 26, which is called Gringotts. I would assume that'll be the chapter where they break into Gringotts, or at least attempt to. And uh, you will also learn several things in, in reading these next five or six chapters that will explain some of the stuff that you saw at Wizarding World, especially concerning Gringotts and the ride that we took and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think some of that will make more sense to you after you read these next few chapters. If you enjoy Potter and Daughter, please do check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E. Throw in one, two, three, four, five dollars a month, whatever, just to show that you've appreciated the episodes that Lily and I have made. We are coming to the end. We've probably got about two regular episodes left. And then maybe one about Wizarding World. And then probably one or two, or I don't know how many, about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. When we eventually get that and read it. Doesn't that come out the 17th? Comes out this month. Middle or end of this month, for sure. This is July right now, 2016. So, for Potter and Daughter... I'm Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And we are going to go watch some explosions in the sky because it's the 4th of July. Good episode. Oh, my God. It's a (laughs) knock over a bottle episode. All right. See you next time, Lily. Yeah. Bye. Bye. This book is so awesome.